All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. And yes, we're back. This is the Mars Magazine Podcast. My name's Adario Strange, and this week we have a very special guest. This week we're talking to Will I Am. He is the, I would say, the lead singer and the producer behind the international rap, and I guess you would call them pop group to some extent, uh, Black Eyed Peas. And he recently decided to dive into the tech world. Well, not recently, but he recently had a new release trying to dive into the tech world. And we're going to talk to him about that and many other things. But first, a little bit of catching up. I mean, it's been a few weeks since we've talked to you guys and uh, just want to kind of catch up on some of the things since the election. Yes, the the new world that we live in that I think shocked many people on both sides. Uh, I think a, a lot of people kind of needed to maybe take a break, take a take a breather to kind of process the new reality that we're living in. I remember just um, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago, I was playing um, a little mobile game uh, that was created out of Australia called Drump with a J, and it was kind of like this. Um, it was a really well rendered game that uh, had Donald Trump attempting to take over the universe by jumping over things and landing on different, you know, things in the sky. And every so often, these characters that look like Hillary, uh, Obama, and Bernie Sanders would come down and try to stop him. And eventually, he gets into outer space. And, you know, it, it, a lot of these kind of things I saw come up over the last few months. But, you know, now it's uh, it's not a joke anymore. It's, it's reality. We now have a new president here in the U.S. And um, I, I think um, now that we've kind of passed the initial surprise stage, I think a lot of people were surprised. We can kind of get back to the business of looking into the future by using science fiction, technology, and, and the lot to kind of predict what may be coming on the horizon. Actually, I want to talk about um, Westworld. So since we've been gone, the season finale of Westworld aired. And don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything. But if you have seen the series, if you've seen the, you know, the finale of what is basically a remake of the original uh, 70s film by Michael Crichton, you're probably wondering, like, why it's going to take two years to come back. It's not coming back until 2018. And I'm kind of wondering what they're going to do with the property because I think Westworld is great and the name is great and a lot of people who are science fiction nerds know about the property. But there's a certain – I think I can say this. This is a bit of a spoiler, but it's not a plot spoiler. There's one point in the end of the series where we see samurai warriors fighting each other, but but they're hosts, they're robots – and they're training. And we see, uh, before we see them, we see a door that says SW. And I think what we're meant to believe is that stands for Samurai World. So that is really exciting for a lot of people because just imagine if we just transpose everything from this Westworld construct over into ancient Japan, which, you know, as anyone who's been listening to the pod for a while knows, uh, I used to live in Japan. I was there for five years. Um, that's incredibly exciting for me. And that, I think the only thing that I'm wondering about is, you know, with Westworld, you, you have like maybe a host is able to shoot at a human and the bullets don't hurt the human. I don't know how you get that to work with the swords. In other words, you know, so if someone swings down with the samurai sword, does it just break? Does it, 
I, I mean, what what I, I just don't understand how that dynamic is going to work in Samurai World if that's what we're going to get. If we're going to come back to Westworld, I think that's a fail. I think they need to move to because in the original Westworld uh, film, uh, we got to see Rome World. I don't know if that's what it was called, but it looked like ancient Rome uh, in addition to Westworld. So I think we, you know, it's a good idea to like go to these different worlds. Uh, hopefully we'll get to find out, you know, it, when it comes back in 2018, are they actually on Mars or it's a, is it a satellite station? Is it on earth? Again, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but if you haven't seen the last episode of Westworld on HBO, it is incredible. Highly recommend it. Uh, since we've been gone, I also got a chance to see Arrival, starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner and Forrest Whitaker, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, and it blew me away. Speaking of Japanese, so I guess at this point I will, I do have to drop a spoiler to kind of talk about this. So if you haven't seen Arrival, sorry, slight spoiler for Arrival. Um, there's a certain point, I, th I think the linchpin of the entire plot hinges on language learning. And what we find out, and I'm not going to give it all away, but I'm just going to kind of hint at what, what happens. Essentially, Amy Adams, who's a language expert, at one point, she finally learns the language of the alien uh, aliens who have arrived on Earth. And what it does is it actually rewires her brain to be able to peer into the very fabric of space-time. And this has all kind of effects that kind of ripple back and forth. And, you know, it, it's a really great plot device. But what it made me think about was my time in Japan and how when I was learning Japanese, it really did rewire my brain. I mean, I remember I began to forget English words. I began to I, well, there's one habit that I picked up that I still have, which is. You know, in America, if you're listening to someone and there's, you know, they're talking and you want to kind of acknowledge that you're saying that that you're that you hear them, you go, uh huh, yeah, yeah. Well, in Japan, it's very common, at least for men, to go, mm, just like a kind of like a grunt. No, you know, you don't open your mouth. You know, you're not saying an actual word. Just mm, mm. And I've I can't, I, I can't stop doing it. And I can tell it seems like, you know, here, well, in Japan, it, it's quite common and it's, it doesn't have any, it's no indication of your intelligence or lack thereof, but I can tell it seems a little, uh, Neanderthal style to like some people here. And, um, but I mean, it, it just, that's just one example. There are a bunch of little ticks. Uh, I remember, I think my first couple of weeks back, I was in a shoe store, my first couple of weeks back in the States. And I yelled out sumimasen, which is basically the way you call uh, for service when you're at a restaurant or a store. And yelling it out is not considered rude. It's, you know, it, even though Japan is a very polite society, uh, that, you know, when you're in a service situation, that's actually considered very proper. And I was so I had immersed myself so much in Japan that, um you know, that I came to the States and I kept saying this and I just realized, OK, no one knows what the hell I just said. And I'm just standing here. And so, yeah. But I mean, aside from that, I think the other way it rewired my brain is it rewired how I look at reality and how I look at people and how I look at culture. And so in that way, Arrival as a science fiction film uh, kind of dealing with alien language, it really spoke to me because I really do think that uh, language changes, you know, how we think. Actually, there's there's proof of this. Actually, I looked this up and there was a research study back in 2012 uh, by Lund University in Sweden that found that the brain actually grows 
when you learn new languages. And I found this quote. It said, while the brain structure of the control group remained unchanged, specific parts of the brain of the language students grew. The parts that developed in size were the hippocampus, a deep lying brain structure that is involved in learning new material and spatial navigation and three areas in the cerebral cortex. So, I mean, it's a big leap from that to, you know, piercing the veil of space time and being able to see backwards and forwards and into the future and past and all that. But it, it does kind of give you a sense of why a science fiction writer might come up with that kind of plot device, because it really does. I mean, you get, when you learn a new language, it really does just reshape the way you see the world. And now we have proof that it actually has like real effects, not just kind of these maybe unseen or maybe, you know, in some cases, unmeasurable cultural effects, but there are actual physical effects and cognitive effects that we can uh, actually pin down. Uh, next, I think I have to talk about this because although we've touched on this topic a lot in the past, I think this deserves special note um, because I, I really do feel like this space just changed. And that's virtual reality. About a week and a half ago, Oculus, the company that makes the Oculus Rift uh, VR headset, uh, which was acquired by Facebook, but it, you know, it's, it's run essentially like its own company. Oculus finally came out with the Oculus Touch controllers. Now, the Oculus Touch controllers, what they allow you to do is they, you know, before you had to use this Xbox controller along with the headset. So when you were in various, you know, environments, it was it felt a lot like a game. And there wasn't a great deal of difference aside from quality of experience. It didn't feel like there was a great deal of difference, at least for me, between some of the lower end mobile solutions, meaning, you know, most of the experience experiences felt passive. If you wanted to be truly interactive, you know, you needed to you just kind of had to put your mind in kind of like a gamer mode. Now with the touch uh, devices and you have one device that fits in each hand. And they give you these hand representations in VR. So when you lift the controllers up in front of your face in the real world, you actually see these hands in VR. This is, as far as I'm concerned, this has been the missing piece for VR. This is what was missing for, I mean, of course, yes, they have this, uh, you know, there are controllers for the uh, HTC Vive. There are controllers for the uh, PlayStation VR device, and I've used both of them. I've tested both of them extensively. Uh, there are actually hacks um, for the lower-end mobile devices, such as um, the Samsung Gear VR, when you kind of pair that with uh, like a leap motion kind of device that can, you know, detect some of your gestures. So it's not, you know, it's not like Oculus just came up with a brand new paradigm, but what they did was, I think, they came up with the best execution uh, from the hardware standpoint and from just the, the software execution within VR. I cannot tell you why well, I'm telling you now I am. I, mean, the, I cannot express maybe is what I want to say. I can't express exactly how excited I am about this. You know, most of the people listening are generally, I think you guys are sci-fi heads. So you probably know about lawnmower man. Um, think lawnmower man. That is how far ahead I feel this has moved us in terms of, you know, it's you don't get your full body, but you have your head and shoulders and your hands. And that's pretty much enough. And your head moves like correctly as you move it. It really it, it, there's no latency. Uh, it, it's just 
it's amazing. Um, and I think the thing that really pushed me over the edge with Oculus Rift and with the touch controllers is a piece of software called Oculus Medium. And what Oculus Medium is, it's basically, it's basically digital sculpting. It's sculpting in VR. And if you've ever seen someone create a digital 3D model, you know, like for either animation or just, you know, kind of for 3D, any kind of 3D rendering, if you've seen like the magazines or just, you know, things on TV, this allows you to, you don't have to learn a CAD program or, you know, really like, you know, like 3D Studio Max, um, you know, Lightwave, Maya, that kind of stuff. This allows you to just slap on the helmet and begin working with material, with your hands, with your digital hands. So it's really like, and I, and I, you know, as someone who went to art school and I actually took sculpting classes, I remember having kind of like a little turntable and real clay and, you know, getting the clay wet and like, you know, turning it and pushing it and pulling it. This felt exactly like that. It, it's essentially the same uh, environment, the same dynamic, but it's in VR. And the amazing part is, so once you're done with your 3D sculpture, you can output it to a file that you can then 3D print, or you can take into a traditional 3D program if you, let's say, you want to animate it. Those two, I mean, this this is really just, I mean, all I can say is, you know, if you go to YouTube, which is probably what most of you'll do, you know, like at least half of you probably did that as soon as you heard this. If you don't already know about Oculus Medium, maybe you went to YouTube and you looked at this. I cannot tell you, it, look, it, it, that is not going to give you the full impact. If you see it on YouTube, you'll see someone playing with a little sculpture and it looks cool. And you, you, you maybe your brain can kind of take you to the next few steps to kind of help you understand what's actually going on. But you won't truly understand how magical and how Im Im just how powerful Oculus and Oculus Touch is until you use it yourself. So I strongly suggest you go to uh, like an electronic store like Best Buy or, you know, wherever they have wherever they might have it in, in your local area. But Best Buy seems to be like one of the best places to test it out and just give Oculus Medium a try because – the thing that really blew me away is when I was playing or or using the like, the sculpting tools, it felt like the the object was really in the room with me. I, I felt like I really had a giant, you know, block of clay in front of me. And it really just I mean, th there's no way to truly explain it. You have to try it for yourself. Another thing that the touch controllers really did for me was it enhanced Something that's been in development, but that has just come out uh, officially from Oculus, which is Oculus avatars. And Oculus avatars basically take you into a room and allow you to create your own customized avatar. And I, ca I have to say, it it felt just like the Matrix. It puts you in front of a mirror, and it's kind of like a almost like a liquid mercury mirror because you can see yourself. But just like that, uh, that pivotal scene in the Matrix. Uh, right when Neo takes the red pill and he puts his finger in the nearby mirror and the, and the mirror wraps around his finger. You can do the same thing when you're in the Oculus avatars uh, customization room. And so you can customize your avatar. You can be a man, a woman, old, young. Uh, there are different facial features that make you look like you may be of a particular ethnicity. Um, you can be grizzled. You can be kind of really slick. Any hairstyles available. You can be bald. You can have weird cornrows. You can have weird facial hair. 
I mean, the possibilities are endless. And there's even like a really cool coloring palette that allows you to kind of give yourself like this, just a really, it's only one color. So you don't, it's not like you're doing like a piece of art, but the colors are just, they're fascinating. And I, you know, I actually had a chance to speak with the Oculus medium team and, you know, I just, I couldn't stop praising them because they're just, what they've created is amazing. And what Oculus avatars does uh, with the rest of kind of like the entire experience, just really, I don't know, I, I'm in, I have, I've purchased my, I mean, I've, uh, at my office, I have access to various VR rigs, you know, the Rift, uh, the, the Vive, uh, PSVR, the various low-end uh, versions of uh, so-called virtual reality, uh, such as, you know, the gear and, and like a daydream. I'm, I have put my money where my mouth is. I have purchased the Oculus finally. I think it's finally ready. If you were wondering, you know, if, you, if you've watched this experiment from afar and wondered, okay, when will it be ready? When will, when will it be kind of fully cooked? When will it be, you know, good enough to, you know, warrant spending, you know, some cash? I think it's ready. And the big thing is, if you're not a gamer, don't worry about it. There are so many experiences that have nothing to do with gaming that this is worth diving in early. And it actually makes me think of many, many, many years ago when um, I first got on the Internet. I would say it was 19, like maybe the end of 1994, beginning of 1995. And I bought my modem. Uh, I managed to get my hands on a, a low, low end computer and I set myself up on IRC. And I remember at that time, you know, just very few people I knew in the real world were on the internet, were on IRC. When I would mention it to them, they were either uninterested or thought I was talking about something very weird. And when you would go onto the IRC and you go on, you know, you use different, you know, apps, it was just, you know, you just felt like you were taking time away from the real world. And then when you would, when you unplugged, you were kind of back into the real world. And that's kind of how I feel with VR right now. I feel like, you know, there are a ton of enthusiasts and there is a ton of investment. But at this point, in terms of the mainstream, there's still a huge amount of you guys out there who haven't directly experienced virtual reality. Maybe you've seen it on YouTube or you've, you know, looked at it on TV or something, but you haven't actually put the headset on. And let me tell you, you cannot understand what's actually going on until you put the headset on that. What you see on video is not indicative of how it feels. Um, we have people like there are uh, forums on Reddit where that are devoted to the Oculus Oculus uh, community. And there are people who stay in VR so long with these new touch controllers that some of them come out of VR and they look at their real hands and some of these people, and I believe them because I can kind of get the disassociative uh, effects of, of staying in for a long time. Some of them come out of VR and look at their hands and they are reporting that sometimes their hands don't feel, their real hands don't feel real. That's how responsive and seamless and, you know, just it really is. We're on the edge of something big. Now, I know Apple and Tim Cook you know, says VR is nice, but we're focusing on AR and you have the HoloLens with AR and you have Magic Leap is supposed to be coming up with some sort of AR product, which by the way, yes, I saw that report that uh, kind of said it's not, you know, Magic Leap's not all that. But I think AR 
if you're betting on AR, I think that has more to do with commerce. I think that has to do with commerce, tools, that kind of thing. If you're talking about full, like near, like I think it's going to be a while before we get something like the Star Trek holodeck. But this deals with, you know, Oculus Rift. It's touching three of your, you know, five senses, sight, sound and touch, because, yes, the touch controllers do have haptic feedback. So you actually get the feeling that you're touching things like when you're when you're in the Oculus avatars dressing room and you're customizing your your look. When you touch that mirror, you feel the feedback in your controller. So it really does feel like you're touching something when you touch the mirror. So I'm just incredibly excited. I think if you haven't tried it, give it a try. If you have any access to it, uh, don't just blow it off. It's This is an important development. Um, so VR, virtual reality. We'll probably talk about that a lot more in depth. I'm probably going to bring someone on um, who can kind of you know, joust with me and go back and forth. Someone who knows uh, the ins and outs of it uh, in the very near future. So now to our guest, Will I Am. Um, so a couple of months ago, he came out with a, a new tech product, and this is a follow-up. About a year ago, he released what he called, uh, I guess, he didn't want to call it a smartwatch. He, he wanted to refer to it more as like, like a phone. And it was basically something, a device that you wore on your wrist, although it looked like a smartwatch. It, it functioned as a phone and kind of like it did have smartwatch functions. Now, that didn't do that well. Actually, it didn't do well at all, as far as I know. Some of my colleagues in the tech world kind of, you know, were a little bit hard on it. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with uh, his celebrity, frankly, because um, we see far more kind of kludgy and uncooked, unbaked, unfinished products come out all the time that are ambitious and they don't get as much ridicule. So I think, you know, that was kind of unfairly kind of dinged because of his celebrity. But now he's back with a much simpler device, which is a pair of Bluetooth uh, headphones that I would say are more geared toward the fashion forward. So this is fashion meets tech. And so he came out with these uh, Bluetooth headphones. He's doing it. Um, apparently, he's given some ownership to the well-known fashion model, Naomi Campbell, and to the reality star slash fashion model, Kendall Jenner. And they're kind of helping to act as the faces of the brand. And they're called Buttons. And we talked about that. But what happened was, you know, I began to realize very quickly that he – well, I am has a very long history in tech and in investing and and kind of like looking toward the future. This this whole thing about, you know, his music and everything that that's a very important part of his success. But he's actually he's a tech guy. Um, and many people actually don't know that he was actually kind of there for Beats in the beginning. Beats, which was acquired, I believe it was for $4 billion by Apple. He actually proved to me that uh, Jimmy Iovine, the co-founder of Beats, got the idea for Beats from Will I Am. So this is he's not new to this. This isn't a fly-by-night concern. He really is dedicated to tech. You know, he gave me some great anecdotes. We spoke about Bill Gates, uh, the singularity, and just investing in tech in general. And just remember... This guy's a tech guy, but he has sold over 70 million records, and it's probably more than that, but that's the number I was able to definitely confirm. It's over 70 million records with his group, but he's also moving into tech, and I think this is the future, meaning the mainstreaming of tech, where you have people who 
uh, maybe don't have what you would consider a traditional tech background moving into the areas of, you know, devices and accessories, because that's I mean, it's mainstream now. You're no longer a geek just because you have a smartphone or because you have the latest, greatest uh, device. No, that's mainstream now. So it was a great conversation and enjoy. Product is called Buttons. They launch November 1st in all the Apple stores around the world. So we'll be going with with Naomi, um, Kindle, Sean Ross, India Love, and Andre Leon Talley, who are all part of I Am Plus. So the way I was a part of Beats, a lot of people didn't didn't know that I was um, one of the one of the folks, early folks, a part of Beats. Now, were you an investor? Were you what were you? What did you do? Oh, I'll show you. I'm going to show you this video to show you how what my role in Beats was. From the beginning. Beats by Dre. Where did it come to you that you could actually go from making music to actually making hardware? All I've ever wanted to do my whole life since I was 18 years old is move the needle on popular culture. Just move it. Not copy it. Not run after it. Move it. Mm -hmm. Move it forward. Right. So I was with Will I Am one day. He said, you know, the record business is all screwed up. We're losing money. Jimmy. Jimmy. Hardware. So I said, Will. I said, wait, talking about hardware. He said, hardware. So I said, Will, you know why they call it hardware? It's hard. Yeah. That's why they call it hardware. I feel like I know that. I feel like I heard him tell this story. Maybe uh, I just forgot. I yeah. Okay. So mega credit. All right. <laughs> so, so in 2006, I come home from tour and I'm like, yo, Jimmy, this do hardware, dude. Mm. He's like, what do you mean hardware? I said, like, yeah, dude, like our music should be selling our stuff, not somebody else's stuff. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Our record industry was because of technologies. If it wasn't for Thomas Edison, we wouldn't have a gramophone to have a Grammy Award. And people don't even realize they're holding a different type of phonic system. Mm-hmm. They think everybody but Thomas Edison, when they go up, go up and hold his product, that gramophone, that Grammy Award is a, is a model of a Grammy, a gramophone. So... Are these Bluetooth? I haven't touched them at all. I haven't yeah. like so. So when we sold Beats to HTC, I started IM Plus. Okay. And wait, wait, pause for a second. So you were part of the ownership. You yeah. had a stake. In 2009, mm-hmm. Beats had just launched that Christmas 2008. Boom Boom Pow was like the first commercial for Beats. Mm-hmm. When I said I'd be rocking in Beats, I was like, Yo, we need to have we need to have a Maya Adidas or a Pastor Cavassier for us. So Boom Boom Pow was a Beats commercial. Yeah, so I was part of for me and I had equity. It was Jimmy Dre me. Okay. And my small percentage, I started my company, I Am Plus. And then we uh, acquired a company out of Bangalore, India. Okay. Who built, we built an operating system and we t- tested that operating system on, a, on, a, on a, a prototype limited launch with AT&T. We got... Uh, technical acceptance, and then then built our real product and launched in the UK with Thream and that wearable phone. This thing, this is a phone, it has a SIM card right here. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw the first version of that. Is that like a new version of that? What was the, no, the first, first version? Was just a prototype, okay, to test the OS, okay. So, as you know, there's like three. So, this came with these, okay. So, every phone has to have headphones, mm-hmm. so in the box came with this when we finally launched the real version which is this mm. with three mobile in the UK so and when was this 
this was 2000 last year. Okay. So three, the parent company, so they launched our, our platform um, and our device. And then Angela, Aaron's, saw these headphones and said, well, this product is a standalone product. This is when she got to Apple or before? I've known Angela forever. So you knew her at Burberry? Yeah. Okay. Um, she's been amazing in my life. She spoke at my conference. I have a conference in uh, L.A., where we encourage kids in inner cities to take an interest in computer science and robotics. So the year that she spoke at my conference, uh, President Bill Clinton spoke at my conference. And um, yeah, so we do as much as we can to, you know, change the quality of education in our inner cities and get these kids not only to fill jobs, but create jobs when they graduate college. And um, so when we when we decided to make this a product product, the whole core of IM Plus from the beginning, a percentage of all of our proceeds, all of our um, employees' time and our products are going to encourage, mentor, and provide um, new skill sets and education um, for kids in, in the hood. And just to be clear, so when you spoke to Angela Aarons, she was she had just gone, gotten Apple, correct? Yeah, because she runs the Apple store. She's like, I want to carry those in the Apple store. Okay. Those so are, they're in the Apple store now? Or? November 1st. November 1st, okay. And um, Andre Leon Talley works, works with us at IM Plus. Right, so what's his official title? He's head of fa- uh, all of our fashion relationships and guiding us. I don't really believe in, for people that dynamic, I don't believe in titles. I guess more so, what is he responsible for? What does he do? So, so first, when he joined the company, we were just about to launch the watch, the wearable phone. It's mm-hmm. not a watch. The wearable phone in the UK. And I was chasing down Francois Pinot from the, from the um, Karen Group, and he helped us seal that meeting to where they, we, we then got an investment from the Gucci Group into my company. And then um, in the packaging, so if you think of like fashion editorial and even tech editorial, the products that, that they cover and celebrate are amazing, desirable products. Where they sell their their magazines are not in desirable stores. There are supermarkets, right, like train stations, airports, not the most luxurious places you buy fashion magazine or tech magazine. So we're like, hey, we're in Apple stores. Angela ran one of the best, biggest, freshest fashion companies on earth. Now she's at the biggest, baddest, dopest retail stores on the planet. Why is our consumer electronics box going to look like every single consumer electronics box? If we have Andre Leon Talley who worked at one of the best magazines, let's, let's make her box like a magazine at the most desirable aspirational store on earth. And so we have Kindle, who's a part of the company, who's on the box like she's on magazines. Mm-hmm. And... Instead of it opening like consumer <coughs> electronics, let's make it open like a book. And more importantly, let's have a, make it a book. Let's treat it like fashion. Let's treat it like, you know, like editorial with spreads. Like this goes with this, then goes with that. If you care about glasses and you buy glasses to go with your wallet and your wallet to go with your watch, then your headphones should be the same. Mm. Not headphones you buy, then you put in your pocket in your bag and you really don't rock the headphone. Right. We wanted to celebrate it, and so that's your glasses, and you got your glasses to go with your little clutch. Girl, well, you better get the headphones <laughs> so you can put that flavor in your ear. Right, right. And here are the folks that are part of the company. India Love, Kindle, you know. Like, I was a part of Beats. I didn't want folks to, like, I want people to win when I win. Kindle and, and, um, and Naomi, like, I had equity stake and, and was a part of our Beats from the beginning. So does Kendall and Naomi. So, so this is this is a business concern for them, not just a promotional endorsement kind of thing. This is like uh, the way it should be. Um, why, why do artists and talent 
people are brands. Right. Look what we did with Beats. Why should it be the other way around? With the recent big thing with the Apple kind of changing their whole headphone jack and releasing these kind of wireless in-ear buds, like did that, what was your reaction to that just as a designer, as a product designer, as someone who's like in this space? I mean, what was your reaction to that? My knee-jerk reaction was, so a year before, eight months before that, I was in um, China with our team at the factory, and one of our designers says, look at these, Will. I'm like, what are these? Whoa, bro. What are these? He's working? He was like, yeah, try it on. So I tried them on and have wires up. I did like this. And I swiped to the right. Get out of here. Shut the fuck up. Wow, get the fuck up. So that was eight months ago. So when I saw theirs, I'm like, we're on the right path. Right. Okay. I said, we're on the right path because we, eight months ago, were developing that. Gotcha. But then ran into a situation with battery life. Gotcha. Probably the reason why the AirPods ain't released yet. You heard about the delay? That's probably battery life. Yeah. So now I was around for when you released the first, your first wearable. And I, you know, in terms of product design and rollout, you know, what'd you learn from that? Well, first off, the first, the first wearable um, that we launched in 2000 and in 13, 14, I forgot what, what it was, was a limited launch to secure our OS. So for, to us, it was a success because we passed TA. The glass that we were using, the yield on it, we couldn't even make a bunch of, even if we wanted to, because the yield on the curved screen, think about it, it was 2014, not that many curves, 2013, not that many curved screen, mm. let alone a phone that didn't need a phone, a watch that didn't need a phone that was a phone itself. Mm. So if you look at what it is, we pulled off to secure an operating system. I think that's a high five. Yo, we did it. To get, right, so there's iOS, there's Android, there's Windows, and maybe you want to consider Kindle's Fire, right? And then we had a wearable phone with, it, with its own proprietary operating system right. that needed certification and, and TA. We needed that technical acceptance from a network. Right. So from that experience, having manufactured only Two, three thousand of them, so we could test it out. Right to get tested, you have to have certain amount of devices out in the field mm. on someone's network. That was a success for us, and then from there we used that to build this. And then this was launched, controlled in the UK on three. You know, when you when you're doing and pushing a new paradigm, telling folks you don't need a phone to go out in the world like this, that's, that's not easy. And more importantly, not a lot of people are doing it. More importantly, not a lot of black people from the projects are doing that. So from that, I think we're doing a pretty good job. And with the whole premise and purpose behind it is to encourage kids in the ghetto that looks like the ones I come from to dream down this path. It's like, all I know is I remember 1990, whatever year it was, De La So said, we don't wear gold chains, we use gold, uh, we use medallions. Mm -hmm. And I wore the hell out of a freaking African medallion. It didn't do anything. I don't even know what part of Africa I'm from, but we wore medallions on our neck. Folks wear gold chains. They don't do anything for them. They just look fresh. So you wear this. We'll have gold ones eventually. It seems, I could be wrong, you probably know better. It seems like the fashion, the traditional fashion industry, even the people who consider themselves on the edge are having trouble integrating technology with fashion. So uh, uh, the reason why um, fashion companies are having a hard time integrating tech into their fashion it's because they're not the ones creating the tech to integrate into the fashion and the tech that is made is not made to is not made for fashion mm. so right to the point where if you think of wearables and our understanding of wearables it's coming from tech companies mm. and the wearables 
are devices you have on your wrist that talk to a phone. So it's one of the reasons why I think we had, you know, the support from Francois Pernod and the Gucci Group to build an independent phone that doesn't need a phone for your wrist. And to start working and building to where we have a fashion OS, something that, right? So here you are, here we are, 2017, about to be, and we have devices you touch. And that operating system is either Android or iOS. And we're walking into a world where the devices are going to be devices you talk to. But they're telling you that's what they, that they're supposed to be in the house only and not out in the world. And if they're out in the world, what do they look like? Well, they're going to look like that jacket. But we're not there yet. But you need the dreamers to dream that. You need the folks to edit what the engineers are doing because leave it to the engineers. They're going to keep on making the stuff you touch. And they're going to continue to make the the uh, the user interface to act and behave like a, a audio version of the one you touched, meaning that you have to talk to it a certain way. Right. Not just talk to it like how me and you are talking. So that's the, that's the operating system that we built. They're not coming from the wrong perspective. They just don't have... They haven't realized the urgency to quickly assemble their own team. Imagine it's 1999 and you're the record company. And you forgot that you were a tech company. Record companies were just tech companies at mm. one point in time. RCA, EMI, they made tape. Real to reels. They're just tech companies. So they, then they forgot it. And then, and then had the nerve to sue the new tech companies, <laughs> the new distributors. And, st- and then had the nerve to say, oh, this is new media. New media. And now, and still today, 2016, they still have new media digital department. Like, no, that is just the department. Right? So the same goes for fashion. Okay. So when you have old world thinkers, no disrespect to them. But they don't, they don't see the urgency to shift yet. And hopefully, in the world, and I have, I'm optimistic because a person like Ange, um, Francois Pinot and people like Andre Leontali aren't waiting to the last minute. They're getting what the vision, they, they, you know, they're looking for folks with vision and supporting them and, and hopping on board thinkers and people that crazy ideas because sometimes crazy ideas turn out being awesome ideas. All I know is I was stuck in a nightmare in the projects and I dripped my way out. I wasn't making money at one point in time. I just was doing it passionately. I ignored all the haters, all the folks that said, oh, they ain't real hip-hop. Give a fuck. I'm moving my mom out the projects, and I'm and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to get it done. I'm going to dream my way out. That's it. That's all I know how to do. So it's a new version of that. I'm dreaming and surround myself with folks that help me execute make those dreams reality. You know, I went to your website, and I saw you know the foundation and everything. I'm curious, like, it's like, do you have any plans to, like, make that into something bigger in terms of, like, a school or some sort of, you know what I mean? So I have a after-school program um, in the in the ghetto that I come from, and portions of that after-school program were trying our best, best to scale. So then we went to Ferguson and started a robotics program because we took a portion of what we were doing there because doing what we're doing there is expensive. Mm-hmm. And if I don't raise money, I still have to continue to fund it. Right. Nothing's free, especially when you're sending kids to China and doing the computers and the mentors and the teachers and all the stuff cost right. to do good. So I'm just doing our part, I'm doing my part. And, you know, all the stuff that's, you know, that, that's happened in Silicon Valley to make sure that there's, you know, African-American folks, Latinos, women working in Silicon Valley. That's great. But unfortunately, people in the hood ain't dreaming about doing that. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's 30 of them just using numbers. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure those 30, 30 folks get jobs at Google. There's, there's 300,000 people. There's 3 million people in, in, in the projects all across America mm-hmm. that ain't dreaming down that path. 
my job is to inspire them and encourage them to and bring the skills to them because it ain't like the school districts are. It ain't like there's computer class mandatory in fourth period. It ain't it ain't like there's a, a budget coming from con- from government cleared by Congress to do so. All we know is that they cleared that budget for that prison now. All we know is that protecting police officers who kill folks. So from that perspective, what do you do? You do your part. You make sure that you connect the dots. You meet people out in the world. Be like, yo, that's your program? Cool, you need to bring that program to my neighborhood. How much that costs? Oh, shit, I'll figure out how to pay for that. All right, all right, cool, cool, cool. I'll figure it out. I'm going to have a conference. Hey, hey, Bill Gates. I mean, uh, uh, President Bill Clinton, can you come speak at my conference? Right. Hey, Angela, can you come speak at my conference? I'm trying to raise money to bring these kids opportunities. Right. Here's the opportunities. I want you to get them a robotics program. I want to get them an ESRI um, GIS program and computer science program. We'll send my kids to China. So you just do your best. And so that when Silicon Valley in four years has more African-Americans to work there, you could say, yep, them kids came from my school. More Mexicans to work, they'd be like, yep, good going, Cynthia. I told you. Or Cynthia says, you know what? I don't want to work at Google. I want to start my own Google. But that's what I'm talking about. That's what that education was for. Are you in VC at all? Do you do any VC interesting? Uh, no, I, I'm a part of SV. Um, okay. SV Angel with uh, Ron Conway. Okay. Do you, do you have any investments that are like... I wouldn't know of. There. No, I'm just a part of his rounds. Okay, all right. So he and got, you took no rounds for this. Is this what is what is this your just your funding it or is there an investment? Or? I funded it and then went out and raised money with my co-founder. We raised we raised money for the core of what we're building. Are you you're saying this is tied into your to the OS you've been developing or is it standalone audio product or is there some this is a standalone audio product but when our AI is ready mm-hmm. this will be able to integrate with our, yeah, our, our platform and what what's your kind of roadmap is that like two years out a year out six months it'll yeah. be it'll be pretty soon um, what do you use by the way what, what what computer do you use I use a Mac okay yeah. and you always use the Mac is that like what you kind of yeah I, I was taught on a Mac you know I was one of those lucky kids that was eight that had Apple two C's in our classroom in the eighties. Okay. So Oh, you were really lucky, okay. And yeah. uh, it's just crazy. So from Apple using black eyed peas to launch iTunes and iPods in nineteen sorry, in two thousand and three to now my partnership with Lorraine Powell Jobs. What are you doing with her? So she's the she's a person that I work with in the inner cities. So it's crazy. She and I was in Watts and Jordan Downs projects together. I came out the car. I got a flashback because Jordan Downs project looks just like my projects. Mm-hmm. I got a flashback. <laughs> so I go down, I meet, I look up, and there's Lorraine Powell Job standing with me in the project in Watts. I'm like, wow. Right. If it wasn't for that iTunes iPod commercial, I wouldn't have went around the world right. with Black Eyed Peas. It was, the, it was that iPod commercial that played everywhere and then that from that is when when we got that NBA let's get started campaign that was the order first it was where's the love then that iPod commercial then let's get started mm-hmm. like a piece it's like to the point where hip hop didn't even think it was hip hop we, we was just sons of tribe mm-hmm. I'm sons we sons of Dela. every time I see Q-Tip I'm like thank you 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 mm-hmm. thank you thank you I can't thank you enough thank you we sons of them, mm. you know, um, and uh, going on that tour because of that iPod commercial, I came back on, I came back 
from 2003, four, five. Yo, Jimmy, hardware, dude. First thing. I was like, yo, they got iPods. Can we get that black IP pod? Mm-hmm. I want that black iPod. iPods is white. Let's right. get that black iPod. <laughs> right, right. Then you two got that black iPod. Right. I was like, black iPod. Like, IP pod. But I always wanted to do tech. Mm-hmm. Do you have inspirations in the tech world? Are there people who you look to who have helped you kind of form your methodology and how you approach all this stuff? Bill Gates and Apple. Bill Gates and Apple. Bill Gates, personally. Uh-huh. And, and then Apple, Apple the so company. not Steve Jobs. Steve, yes, of course, Steve. Okay. So Steve and Apple, mm-hmm. but then personally, Bill Gates. Okay, why so, Bill Gates? So yesterday I was sitting with him. We, we was on a panel, like a little Q&A. Um, at the Science Museum in London. And it just, I think, was it 80%, 90% of his money he give, he's given away yeah, to charity? most of it, yeah. The vast majority of it, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I want to be like you. Right. Like, I made a lot of money in music, but I do a lot of philanthropy, too. I, th- I think I'm more active there than I am in music today. Because mm. that's what it's all about. I was one of those kids who stood in line for that you know, those summer lunch programs. Mm. One day it dawned on me, like, summer lunch programs. I mean, somebody had an idea and said, we realize that these kids, when they don't go to school, the parents can't feed them because that's how they get their meals. So these kids go hungry in the summer. So let's do summer lunch programs. Somebody thought of that. That was their idea. Mm. And they pitched it. And then they greenlit it and funded it. Mm-hmm. And then I was one of the recipients. I was one of those kids that stood in line. Actually, my first job was handing out food at the summer lunch program when I was 13. So you're paying it forward. Paying it forward, giving it back, okay. building a bridge. So, so what, what did Bill tell you that is so inspirational above any? I'm sure you talk to a lot of brilliant people, a lot of successful people. What is it that he's imparted to you that's like really resonated more. So two years ago was when I first met him at Davos because they made me a young global leader. And I was up at the World Economic Forum we were talking about, you know, the work that we all do when we're not at Davos. So Davos is like this great little community of folks that the do-gooders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they come together and they share all the work they're doing. Hopefully we could, you know, we could all collaborate. Sorry. On, on, our, on our different passions and our, and our programs and projects. So I'm there, and they introduced me to Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. And he says, I like the stuff that you're doing in the inner city. I'm like, wow, this dude, like, paid attention? Because I went to his foundation, right? Because he, it was like the, it was the, the Gates Foundation Dinner. Okay. So he, they only. This is at Davos. This is at Davos. Okay. They only bring us, they only invite us, you know, a certain amount of people. You're mm-hmm. up in this cabin, and the, and bottles, people like Bono and and Deepak Chopra and all these folks are there. So they introduced me to Bill Gates, and he says, you know, appreciate all the work that you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing, how you're contributing. I'm like, wow, this dude have to acknowledge. About the work that we're doing. So then I go home on a hour. It's like, yo, Bill Gates to- went back to the people in the company. Like, yo, he said, you know, Tatiana, who runs the foundation, Bill Gates said, like, you know, thanks for all the work that we're doing. He, he He's acknowledging the stuff that we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that I work with Lorraine Powell Jobs. Mm-hmm. And Lorraine Powell Jobs and 
Dean Kamen and Mark Benioff, it's a small world in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Silicon Valley or Seattle, uh, it's a small world. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that do, you know, and then the ones that don't, we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. So let's name the ones that do do. Mm-hmm. That's Bill Gates, Mark Benioff, Ron Conway from SV Angels, Lorraine Powell Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, um, Naveen Jain, who, who's an invisible, awesome guy, mm-hmm. who's part of uh, um, X Prize in Singularity University. Mm-hmm. So I sit on the Singularity University board. So there's like a couple of freaking like superheroes that do stuff. Mm-hmm. And so everyone lets everyone know what everyone's doing. So I'm there. And so a couple of years later, they say, hey, Bill Gates wants to sit. Wants, they're inviting you to, for you and him to have a Q&A together. Mm-hmm. Talk about the future of AI, the future of tech. And so we did that last night. This time yesterday in London. It was an amazing conversation. What was the event in London? It was a um, science museum put on a, uh, um, an event. So, yeah. So, so people like Mark Benioff, mm-hmm. you know, how he built that company, Salesforce, and the good that he does. It's actually Mark Benioff's. One percent program that we bought that I called them up like yo your one percent program you're doing that for health can you do it for can you can I can I can I take the guts of that and, and aim it for education so he connected me with the folks um, and that's the program that we borrowed for I am plus mm-hmm. to continue to do well in communities mm-hmm. so it's not just folks that build awesome tech companies and they heck of rich there's a lot of rich people I knew way before I even wanted to do tech. And that means I want to be like them because they're rich. It's the people that do well, tra- that, that have a purpose. They're they trying to do something. I'm not only a son of tribe, I'm a son of KRS and public enemy and the folks that when hip-hop was about something. And yeah, cool, great. Black Eyed Peas, okay, maybe we ain't the hardcore motherfuckers on earth. So? Maybe we don't rep the streets. So? But I protect the streets. I'm going giving back to the streets. That's what it's about. Because I, I just, I'm a student of everything KRS was rapping about, what Chuck was rapping about, and I execute it in a different way. I like Kid and Play. I want to be like them dudes. <laughs> I like MC Hammer. Right. I want to have shows and rock out, sell out shows like he did. You saw them when they would keep bringing him up, up to the TechCrunch Disrupt uh, conferences. Did you watch all how that went, went down? Who, MC Hammer or Kid Play? MC Hammer. Oh, MC Hammer? Who do you think introduced me to Ron Conway? Okay. So he, he helped bring you into the Silicon Valley fold. Ron Con- MC Hammer is like, he's Gandalf the Grey. <laughs> okay. For people that cross that bridge from the world urban community into mm-hmm. hip hop, I mean, into tech. One day, uh, Ron couldn't find, uh, uh, MC Hammer wasn't reachable. So Ron calls me. He's like, Well, I'm having a hard time getting a hold of Hammer. There's an artist that wants to come up to the bay. And I wanted to know um, is, That's is a good person, impression. <laughs> is this person okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. You ain't going to ask me. And then something happens. <laughs> and then. Right. What do you mean? Wait, should I introduce? He's asking to get introduced to all the people up here. Don't ask me. Well, th- this has to happen now. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, yeah, they cool, though. They cool. Mm-hmm. But you can't find Hammer. He's on the airplane for the next five hours. 
right. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they cool, Ron. They cool. Right, right. I'm just saying, I don't know if everybody has those guidelines right. after they leave the Silicon Valley. Right. But they cool, though. All right, so you're vouching for them. We mean vouch. Like, vouch like what, though? <laughs> right. But yes, they cool, though. Right. Don't worry about that. So you have some dealings with the NBA, I know. So I've talked to a lot of people in the NBA, particularly athletes, and some of them try to do their own startups. Do you, like, what do you tell them when, because some of them have tried to do uh, audio projects, uh, non, you know, entertainment ventures. Like, do you ever give them advice? Do you try to help? I'm talking about the younger ones, not the ones who are like, you know, a Jordan or something like that. So what audio products? I don't know. Well, uh, Carmelo, right off the top of my head. So he worked with another company, though, right? Um, my understanding is he's branding them, you know, as his own. You know, so yeah. So usually, what usually the only dangers of that is a big company would work with a celebrity. They give them like a skew. They let them brand them their own. The returns ain't what they thought matched what the marketing dollars they spent. Right. And and then you have this like the passion. The passion levels aren't connected. So, well, no, that's what I mean. So, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. So, do you? I don't want to say mentor, but do you? Do any of them go to you for advice? No, or I would always access you. You know, no, because usually, no, because I would tell them, why do you need a big company? Mm-hmm. How much money you got? Start at your own. Do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I tell you, here's the factories to go to. You don't have a design wing, okay? What do these people have them design it? There's a whole bunch of, you know, default designers that do design wins for folks. License they design and go to this factory and get it made. You fund it. But ain't nobody want to do that. They manager ain't going to let them do that. You think somebody's manager going to say, like, we're going to bypass this advance for licensing and you, I'm going to have you spend your own money? Right. Ain't nobody want to hear that advice. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm That's the last, the last person they want to get consultation from. Right. But an entrepreneur would. Entrepreneur would be like, yo, what do you think I should do? Here's what you should do, bro. Right. Go to this person, that person, raise money, da-da-da, boom, 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 boom. So are you following? Have you talked to Kobe about his venture capital concerns, like what he's doing? You know, he just entered the venture, cap, venture oh, I don't, capital I don't world. know. I don't know about okay. that. But all the person I know I celebrate, though, is in the world of athletics is Russell. Russell Westbrook. Westbrook, okay. I like, oh, for fashion. I just like, I like, his, whole, I like his whole thing. Like, I'm going to have a shoe, and I'm going to sell a shoe at Barney's. Hmm. I'm gonna sell shoes where I shop. He has a shoe at Barney's. Yeah, I did not know that. Okay, I like I like I like the way Russell goes about his stuff. I, I wear I don't always wear sports stuff. I want to rep Jordan in a way that reflects where I want to spend my money and go out. I like Russell. So I want to talk about the fashion because I saw the jackets. But real quick before I forget, the Singularity University. I've written a lot about them. I've talked to some of the people over there. You said I had no idea you were on the board. Not the Board of Singular University. Okay. Um, it's uh, X Prize Foundation. It's all the same people. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Do you cross paths with Elon Musk at all? Do you? Because I, I actually saw like a Tesla key fob in one of the jackets. I found one in one of the jackets, by the way. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it was a Tesla fob. I could be wrong. No, well, we didn't bring your Tesla. I fob. think it was a Tesla oh, fob. It, it probably was. Yeah. Probably was. Um, <laughs> so 2004. There was a movie called Who Killed the Electric Car? Mm. And at the same time, Black Eyed Peas, because of that, I, uh, that Where's the Love and then that iPod commercial and that freaking NBA thing, mm-hmm. brands, was they gave us like Hummers for free. I'm like, yo, who, we got Hummers, bro? We got four Hummers, bro, mm. for free. 
Then I saw this movie. So then my manager at the time was like, yo, Will, check this movie out. You're not going to like it, though. Who Killed the Electric Car? So then I watched it. And in the movie, there was this car called the EV1 by GM. And they gave those cars away for free to celebrities. But the result that happened was people started ordering EV1s. So then GM was like, oh, wait a second. This is going to mess up our, 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 our stakes in the combustible engine. So they pulled the EV1s. And, and they, 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 did, they did the same trick and gave Hummers away for free. Mm-hmm. So then he had all these like environmentalists coming out. I'm like, damn it. We got, as much as I want these, this Hummer, mm-hmm. they're using us to, you know, to paddle like this you know, environmentally killing product. Mm-hmm. So then I rebelled and sold my Hummer and my proceeds from selling it. There was a car at the end of this documentary of a company out of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So I flew up to San Francisco and met this little small startup. What year was this? It was 2004. Okay. Little small startup. And I'm like, yo, man, I got X amount of dollars. I want to invest in this little company. Mm-hmm. So I put this little money down from, you know, the proceeds I got from the Hummer and some more money. And then to my surprise... Made a cool little return when Elon Musk then buys the company, Tesla. So I was like one of the first early pe- people that invested in the small little Tesla company before Elon. So you had, had the Roadster. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, before the Roadster was even sold, I invested in Tesla. The singularity. Do you believe in it? When you say the singularity, mm. what do you mean? An acceleration of technology that is self-aware, software mixed with hardware that is out of our control and forces us to change the way we live quickly. Yeah, that's going to happen. It already happened. Self-aware. That's, that's the key. That part hasn't happened yet, but technology has grown so fast that it, we've adapted and changed how we live. That's happened. And But I mean, this, this kind of sci-fi, at least now sci-fi... Sci-fi. The sci-fi notion still, do you believe that will come to pass? I think that is... That's so plausible and so real. Mm. The only people that are, that are going to be hurt by it are inner city folks. Mm. So back 360 on what what I'm so passionate about and mm. why I do tech mm. uh, and my philanthropic activities mm. and entrepreneurial works are married is because of that. Okay, and just to wrap up. The fashion aspect. Can you just really quickly tell me what's going on with like the jackets and some of the like the integration with? The yeah, product? so the jackets um, they'll be sold at um, with Farfetch and places like Harrods, like boutiques around the world. We're not doing like thousands of jackets; it's a limited run. Okay, and you know, painting this future where your jacket. Is just as much a accessory for your phone if it was made to be. So we have the buttons um, woven into the collar of the neck, mm-hmm. and for girls who rock chokers, we have awesome. Okay, um, that's what that was. Okay, I wasn't sure what that was. Okay. Yeah, it's like a choker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like that word choker. Awesome um, piece of fabric around the neck. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> that we, women are to wear. Right. <laughs> it's too long. Uh, so we have that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the reason why I wanted to do that that jacket 
it's because in the in the in the conversation of wearables, the next device that's just inevitable is an amazing leather jacket that is your device mm-hmm. and it has a a system platform like Anita or that, that you speak to microphones and headphones that are that are part of it, and that's around the corner. So I wanted to tease what's coming okay. um, for this holiday season. Um, and for a, a mass a mass product is the one that are going to be in all the app stores, the buttons by themselves. Will there, aside from this limited run special edition fashion, will there be at some point, you know, accessible to the, you know, just regular people fashion with the technology? And do you have a sense of when? Because I heard you talk about a little bit of this maybe about a year ago, and I was really excited about that. And I saw oh, yeah. some of the stuff you wore, but, you know. Yeah, so the, the stuff that, that you saw a year ago was... You know, completing the thought on if I have, I just wanted to paint this the picture of if people are making, if we could make a phone on a wrist mm-hmm. and pack everything into this little freaking space, mm-hmm. then I can make an awesome jacket that be, have more functionality and longer battery life. Mm-hmm. So that jacket was just, you know, it was the, it was for conversation. Mm-hmm. We never, you know. Intended on making a mass product of a of a of a jacket at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Now we just want to have these jackets that will start mm-hmm. start the conversation where people can buy mm-hmm. an amazing, you know, cool bomber jacket that pairs to your phone, mm-hmm. and um, and and keep the conversation going from there. Say I'm a person, I don't know your music. I mean, most people know who you are and they know your music, but let's say I don't listen. To, I'm not someone who's listened to your music a lot. Um, I don't know about your foundation work. I'm just a, a, a consumer completely just squarely looking for headphones. Can you, you know, just from that perspective, give me a sense of why I would pick these up. Cause the, if you care about battery life, this is the longest lasting battery life on a Bluetooth headphone. So, so that's, okay. All right. Two, if you care about something that looks good, mm-hmm. then this probably looks better than all the metal ones too. Three, if you want to be a part of, something and that does well for our community mm. then you probably want to get down on what we're doing too because we are about solutions and giving you know kids in inner cities an upper hand mm. so and then four if you're just that stubborn to get over the fact that you don't like my music well then there's so many other stuff out there for you to choose from that you're just going to shove in your pocket I didn't understand the shove in the pocket well, part. people make products uh-huh. that you just shove in your pocket in your bag right. they don't make products for you to wear all the other headphones are headphones you wear, right. and then you put them in your pocket when you're not using them, right. or you put them in your bag. They're not made to go with any of your, um, if you care about fashion, if you care about clothes. Right. right. When you bought that jacket, you probably thought about it and you chose this one over that one. The same isn't for headphones. It's either the technical specs, right. like what has battery life. Okay, well, let's make sure our battery life outlasts theirs. Or, you know, the, the microphone quality. Or what Kodak is it to make the audio quality better? And I want to thank Will I Am for sitting down to talk to me. And before we started the conversation, we actually uh, kind of connected on the music industry side because I used to work in the music industry and we traded a couple of anecdotes about that world. And that, and then we dived into the tech um, again. Uh, I was really impressed just to kind of give some um, maybe some context. The reason you hear me speaking so softly and so low is because we're in this huge room in, uh, I guess, like near Tribeca in this new, um, I guess you kind of kind of call it like a like a private club. 
and it was dark and there were like velvet curtains and he had kind of like a few of his, uh, I guess you would call them assistants, uh, cohorts strategically placed, not close to us, but at different points around the room. I think there were like two or three of them. And so I kind of didn't want them to hear everything I was asking him. So they didn't, you know, maybe chime in or anything like that. So that was the whole, it, it's, it's not like we were, you know, speaking about secrets or anything. It was just a very quiet room. It was, uh, layered in, in velvet for some reason. Uh, but it was a great conversation and I'm glad I had it. And I'm glad he, uh, was so open about his feelings about the community, tech and the future. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and Google Play. And you can check out old episodes on MarsMagazine.com. Or you can visit us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MarsMagazine. My name's Adario Strange, and we will see you in the future. <laughs>